Okay, and if you have a, a Bible, would you like to be turning to the book of Galatians? Uh, we're going to look at Galatians and a few verses from chapter 3 this morning. So we're going to set aside our little series in Mark, and on Easter Day we're going to look at this um, passage in Galatians 3, which we'll read together in just a moment. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. You should see the scriptures coming up on the screen um, in any case. So here we go. Galatians chapter 3, and we'll read from verse 1. In fact, maybe, shall I just do that? If you you haven't got your own Bible, you can follow it here. Uh, Here we go. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit? Are you now trying to attain your goal by human efforts? Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you because you observed the law? Or because you believe what you heard. Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us From the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So here in uh, the book of Galatians, Paul has a point to prove. And it's this. The only way to be saved, the only way to receive eternal life from God, is by faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It is all and only about Jesus. He is our way to being saved. And in the early days... In Galatia, now Galatia was a a province of many different towns and cities, uh, which Paul and his companions like Barnabas had visited uh, a few years earlier. In the early days, they, many of them, had received with enthusiasm and faith and joy uh, the message that Paul had shared about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus And so many people came uh, to faith. It was really, really stark. They saw it really, really clearly. Who Jesus is and why he came, why he died, why he rose again, and what difference that makes uh, to us. It was also stark because 
whilst many people accepted this message and received it gladly, others reacted against it and opposed them, opposed Paul, opposed people of faith, and there was a lot of persecution. If you want to, you can read about the sort of things that happened in Acts chapter 13 another time. So in the early days, it was really, really stark. More recently then, and the reason why Paul is writing this letter is it's become, it's become quite subtle. No longer is there really hard persecution. Forget about Jesus. Leave him. He's got nothing to give you. He's just a pretender. That wasn't the case so much now. Rather, what they're trying to do is just add something else. Well, Jesus is a kind of good starting point. Jesus can get you so far. But what you really need to do is to add to what he's done in some way in order to know God's favor, know God's love. And so we've got a church or a whole group of churches that had received the grace of God. And Paul and Barnabas had urged them, continue in the grace of God. But now, in a phrase that we sang a little while ago, they'd fallen from grace. It's a funny phrase, isn't it? When we use the phrase, or when we might hear the phrase, fallen from grace, we might be thinking of somebody who has really uh, messed up big time in some moral failure. Um, They've sinned in some horrific um, and maybe really public way. They've fallen from grace. Well, what Paul is saying, though, is, You've, you've fallen away from the true message of the gospel. You're trying to add Jesus. It's as though now Jesus is not enough. So rather than say Jesus is all we need, it's like Jesus plus something else brings me forgiveness. So I need to find out what this something else is. Jesus, he was my starting point, plus something else, um, Plus, some work that I've done is a way to know God's favour. And this is Paul's passionate plea to try and wake up these churches to the fact they were, they're walking away from the true gospel. They could easily become the first post-Christian community, post-Christian province. We once believed, we, we had once received the true gospel but we kind of left it behind and we've drifted off into something very religious and worthy looking, but absolutely dead with no life in it whatsoever. So Paul is emotional about it. Fools, idiots, this is tough love. What are you playing at? Who's bewitched you? You've been tricked somehow. But it's not just a rant. Paul is, is bringing biblical hard evidence as to why the gospel he'd preached in the first place still stands. And to prove his case, he's going to call three people to our attention. Let's listen to the evidence that they have to realize what is the wonder of God's mercy? What's the wonder of God's grace? The first is not just one person, but really a group of people. And that is the Galatians themselves. Uh, We see this in in verses 1 uh, to five, they, as we've seen already, they, they get a bit of a grilling. They get lots of questions to try and bring them to their senses. Look, remember your own story. Remember your own experience. 
Now, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. They hadn't witnessed that themselves, but they'd heard about it, and they knew all about it. He goes on, I'd like to learn just one thing from you. It's like, just this one, if they answer this question alone, this should be enough for them to come to their senses. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law, or by believing what you heard? Right. So they'd have to go back and think, well... When we received the grace of God, when we heard the message, when we responded, and when we received God into our lives, was that because we had been living a perfect life, obeying all God's rules in the Old Testament, and then once we'd achieved perfection, God gave us uh, the gift of his Holy Spirit, he, he saved us, he did a work in us that brought us into new life. They'd have to realize They'd have to remember, that's not how we got started. That's not what we did. We received this wonderful good news by simply believing in it. And we can see how it, how it unfolded. You know, if that's the case, why go back? They came to faith and received the Spirit. They were brought in to a whole new life with God's Spirit at work in them in profound ways. Now we can just look at their story just briefly in Acts chapter uh, 13. And we can see um, an example of people's response uh, to the good news that Paul and others were were preaching. Um, After preaching, it says in verse 48 of Acts chapter 13, when the Gentiles heard about this, they were glad and honoured the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed to eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. But the Jews incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. They shook the dust from their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. They'd received this message Gladly, We don't have to earn God's favor. It's a free gift. And they've received it with joy, with the Holy Spirit. Paul goes on to write about the work of the Holy Spirit. And says, for example, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts. The Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And since you're a son, God has made you also an heir. They'd come into something. They'd received the Spirit. Now the Spirit who was in them, in their own hearts, is calling out, helping them to relate to God as Father. And no, this is a relationship. This is, this is real. God is at work. Uh, we also see what they were brought into, receiving the Spirit in chapter uh, 5, verse uh, 16 and on, onwards. I, so I say, live by the Spirit. You'll not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. goes on to talk about in verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So they'd not been earning God's favor. Rather, God had come to them, indwelling them, empowering them, helping them to be more pure and even his miraculous presence was at work 
Back in the passage we were looking at, Galatians 3 verse 5, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? They came into a whole new life, a whole new realm of supernatural possibilities. So they, know the, they, they knew the miraculous presence of God amongst them. And Paul's saying, what? Do you, look back now. Do you think that you earned that? Do you think that that came to you um, as something that you deserved? I remember my, one of my proudest moments was prize giving at school in year nine. And um, this wasn't just in the school hall. This was in Chatham's Central Theatre. And for my world then, it didn't get much bigger than that. And that year, as I was in year nine, I was particularly chuffed because I was being awarded a prize. The prize for music. But uh, I think we, we weren't... Thank you, but it's okay. Um, now, as a school, we weren't that strong at music. So I think really this prize was a way of saying thank you uh, for daring to try and perform anything at the school concert. I think you probably could have gone up with some spoons and they'd just be like, yep, that's amazing. Thank you so much for helping this concert to happen. Here's your prize. Anyway, so I was going up to collect my prize. So up onto the stage, walking across, there's this table out in front. Um, All the boring speeches are done at this point. There are these big array of different trophies. So the rugby team had got theirs. Other people had got their massive plaques and I came up to collect my trophy and it was the smallest on the table. But it was mine. I'd earned it. I'd played at those horrendous concerts. I'd done my best and now I was getting my prize. I earned it. I, I think more or less I'd hit all the right notes. Good for me. Now is that the way that we see all the gifts and the work and the activity of the Holy Spirit as something that reflects well on us. It might not be a massive gift, it might not be a huge thing, but I've earned it, I've deserved it, I've hit all the right notes theologically, I've behaved the right way, and now God has honoured me, he's rewarded me, because I've I've, I've gone far, I've, I've matured, I've made progress. And so now he's even given me uh, the gift of his, a, a gift of his Holy Spirit so that I can encourage others because I've worked my way up. We can see the work and activity of the Spirit as that and then we get a little bit nose out of joints-ish. If someone who clearly hasn't got it all sorted yet or certain things um, shares something and people are really blessed by it, well, well, that's, that's not right. They, they're, they're, they don't understand as much as me. Uh, they're not as mature as me. They've, they've, they've not got the track record that I've got. But now God is using them to bless other people. Of course he is. God loves faith. God says, you didn't earn this. No one earned this. I've responded to your simple faith in me. And I'm blessing you. It's not about hitting all the right note. So the Galatians have got all warped in their thinking. Time has moved on. What was once clear has got confused. And they're thinking, we've got to earn it. We've got to deserve it. If, if God's going to do anything good amongst us, it's because 
We've got all our merit marks. We've got all our brownie points. We've done the stuff. We've gone to the right meetings. We've performed well in the Christian life. Now God is rewarding us. Paul is trying to shake them um, from that way of thinking. But it's not enough just to look at the Galatians' experience. It's not enough for us to just look back if we're saved ourselves, to look back about to, our, to our own experience. That's maybe a helpful starting point, but Paul wants to bring more evidence. So he's going to turn to the next person. He's going to turn through the pages of Scripture, and now taking the stand is someone else. And so particularly in verses 6 to 9, And at other points in the letter to the Galatians, Paul wants to draw attention to the example of Abraham. So Paul is wanting to show, look, this gospel that I preached to you all those years ago is not something that I invented. I didn't make this up. I didn't cook it up. I didn't create it out of my own imagination. The way of salvation, the way to be saved has been clearly put in the scriptures and we can turn back to the Old Testament to see it. He could prove that what he believed was biblical. And we see in just this short passage just how many scriptures he turns to in the Old Testament to back up the gospel that he preaches. And so he brings the attention, our attention onto Abraham and Paul looks at Abraham, consider Abraham, he says, Paul puts the focus on Abraham's faith. He says, look, Abraham, he wasn't a model of religious perfection. He wasn't hitting all the right notes when God called him. He was not seen as right or righteous in God's sight because of his behavior, but because of his, his faith. Verse 6, Consider Abraham, he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Righteousness was something that Abraham didn't have. He hadn't achieved. So God saw, however, that he believed, Abraham believed what God said. God said, I'm going to count that faith as your righteousness. So... Abraham, in other words, took God at his word when naturally it didn't make any sense at all. didn't make any sense. God had said, you're going to be the father of many. And after quite a few years of having lived with that promise, Abraham goes back to God and says, look, we still don't have any children of our own and me and my wife, we're past it. There's no natural possibility that we we can achieve this. We can do it. So God, what you know, in a sense, what are you playing at? God reiterates the same promise and says, your your offspring, your children will be numerous as the stars. God, it still doesn't make any sense whatsoever. This is completely impossible. Look at my body. Look at who I am. Look at what life has been like so far. I can't do it. I can't live up to that. But I believe what you say. And it's impossible for me 
but it's possible for you. And that's the response of faith. When we received the gospel, or if you choose to receive uh, the gospel for the first time, it's a case of coming to the same point. Lord God, you're promising me something wonderful, but look at my life so far. Look at my body. Look at the shape I'm in. Look at my, what, what's happened. I don't have it in me. I can't live up to this. There's no way I could earn or deserve your blessing. But I believe your word. I believe what you can do. That was Abraham's faith. Putting his whole trust in God, not what he could do. Now, that was Paul's focus. That was Paul's reason for looking at Abraham. There were other people, false teachers. They were looking at Abraham as well, but they were putting the focus on Abraham's behavior. Look at all the righteous things he went on to do later in life. And so their message was more, well, therefore, if you consider Abraham and you look at all the righteous stuff he did after God called him, that's what you've got to live up to. So when God speaks, you obey him. God says, give, and you give. Um, God says, circumcise all your sons uh, and yourself, and so you do that. We might be thinking, well, okay, we don't particularly live with that now as a great kind of pressure or rule personally, but that sense of you, your life has got to match up before God is going to bless you. The Galatians have drifted back into th- seeing things in that way. If we want to get right with God, if we want to stay right with God, our life needs to live up to it. Um, standard set out there. We can fall into the same way of thinking. I wonder if this can happen some ways. For, these, uh, for some Jews in Galatia, going around these Galatian churches, their focus was going all the way back to their forefather and looking at his behavior. Well, actually, if they looked very close, they would have seen there were things that weren't great. Now, I wonder if for us, or for some of us, what can happen is we don't necessarily look all the way back to Abraham, but we can look back to other forefathers or even our own parents. So, some of you are here with mum and dad, or just mum, or just dad, and maybe you're here because today, and through your life, even up to this point, your parents have brought you here. And you can see that mum and dad's faith is genuine. It's real to them. They, they want to be here. They, they want to worship God. They, they want to look at God's word. There might be other times in the day or the week when they make some time to get with God's word and their faith has led them to make certain choices and decisions about their lifestyle. It's made a difference to them. And stick with me a little bit longer. It might just be, well actually, that means there are certain ways in which you, ad- you admire your parents. You think, they've taken a stand, they've made a stand. They, they've decided for themselves to follow God. Their faith means something. And so you, you admire some of their behavior. Now maybe, like looking back to Abraham, you can also look back to the ugly stuff and think, well, they weren't so holy then, were they? Um, but overall, you might be thinking, they've done well. They've made some good 
choices. They, they behave themselves reasonably most of the time. So you feel admiration, some respect, but you might also feel a bit of pressure. I, I should be like them. Here's their example. They came to faith and then this is how they've lived. And so this is what I have to do. This is what I have to wear. This is what I have to say. This is how I have to act. Here are the rules of the game. If I want to be a part of the community, if I want to or be a part of this community and earn God's favour, this, this is the behaviour I have to model. And so if we're in a setting like this, I need to stand up. At a certain point in the really good songs, we should be raising our hands. Um, and uh, right, spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts. So I, I suppose I should be attempting to pray in tongues. There should be some other stuff that I should be doing um, in order to follow God. And if we're not careful, actually for all of us, that can be a pattern that we slip into. There's the kind of English expression of don't allow the cart to go before the horse. Yeah? The horse goes in front of the cart. The horse is where the power is. The horse is alive. The horse is moving. And the horse is able to pull the cart. And sometimes what we do is we focus on the cart as though the cart, which doesn't really have any life in it, can pull the horse along. In other words, we put our attention on behavior, things we should do, the stuff that we should say, the way in which we should behave and act in order to fit in, and that's what pulls along our faith. And Paul is saying, no, 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 let's put our attention in the right place. For a moment, forget about everyone else, forget about everybody else in this room this is you and God what matters is the blessing that comes our way through through faith not earning God's favour by by being able to go through a tick list of the things that we should do now the focus has got to be not on doing and behaving, but actually, what do you believe? What do you believe? What's your faith? Who do you say Jesus is? What do you think happened on the first Easter morning? What do you think happened to the body of Jesus? Who do you think Jesus is? What do you think he's done for you? What do you believe? Now, then, like Abraham, and maybe like your parents, or like other believers that you might admire and respect, well, the horse goes first. Now, there is a cart. So, a sense in which it's our faith which matters, and that draws us to work out our salvation. So, it leads us, yeah, personally, to making decisions and lifestyle choices and taking a stand on the basis of the stuff that we believe. Rather than I've got to try and earn it, I've got to try and keep up appearances, I've got to, got to try and make out that I fit in here. It's, no, what's your faith? And we allow that. We, 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 we look to grow in our faith. Of course, it's going to lead us to want to follow him. So for Abraham, 
Faith alone was enough to receive God's blessing. It's the same for us. We see that in verse 7 through 9. Understand then that those who believe are children of God. It's not a case of those who behave well are children of God. It's those who believe. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. We think of blessing as quite a weak word. Blessing is like the Easter bunny and chocolate. It's not really that significant. It's kind of nice. We kind of think of the blessing of God as as nice. Now the blessing of God is powerful. And here's the blessing of God being promised through Abraham to all nations of the earth. Verse 9, so that those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Well, how then do we come in to be a part of this of God's massive, powerful, global blessing that's been promised through Abraham. It's about faith. Well, faith in what? Or faith in who? We've looked at the Galatians. We've considered Abraham. And now Paul wants to draw our attention in the last section of verses that we've looked at today, particularly at Jesus Christ himself. By nature, we are not automatically lined up to receive God's blessing. Paul runs through quite quickly referring to a whole number of different uh, passages in the Old Testament. Again, take note, he can prove that what he believes is biblical. He's not just cooking it up himself. Um, He can turn to the pages of Scripture. And very just running through it quite quickly, he says, uh, in effect... Our behavior will never be enough to earn God's blessing. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Well, on some days, we might be able to drum up enough kind of strength in ourselves to do some of the things written in the law. But to do everything written in the law all the time, we simply can't do. So, the scripture says, we're under a curse. And actually, no one is justified by the law anyway, because the righteous will live by faith. And the law, like I say, demands constant perfection. In verse 12, the law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. It's a relentless, demanding schedule of perfectly keeping every law. We simply cannot live by law, by lists of rules and hardened principles as though that will save us. It offers no way of salvation. If we drift into that way of thinking, we drift into what Tom mentioned earlier towards the end of our time of worship, Christianity is a kind of strange mix of stuff I enjoy and a big dose of a guilt trip. Ah, well, Jesus has done a lot for me. He even rose from the grave. I've just kind of stumbled out of bed this morning, but I made it here. Uh, I hope he's all right with me today. And we go into some guilt trip. Um, We can't rescue ourselves from the predicament we're in. If you imagine yourself to be locked up in a prison cell, you might imagine 
Well, maybe after a little while, I could pick the lock. Maybe after a while, I could scrape a hole through the mortar and take some bricks out. And after quite a long time, admittedly, I mean, it's probably going to take me years, I could dig out. I could get myself free. And so we can entertain the idea that actually, if I, if I kind of really go at this, I, could be, I, could, I can rescue myself. It's probably better to say, has anyone seen the film Groundhog Day? You're forgiven if you haven't. It was made in 1993, so it is going back a little while now. Um, but in the film Groundhog Day, uh, Bill Murray is a weatherman, and um, he goes to uh, report on the Groundhog Day event. Okay? Uh, there's a big snow blizzard, which somehow manages to put him into some time warp or time loop. And so every day he wakes up in the same place, in the same bed, at the same time, on the same day. It's exactly the same day as the day before, relived. No one else has moved on. He's just got to relive the same day, time and time and time again. And you kind of think, he pursues lots of different things. He just lives a life of complete, selfish, self-centered indulgence. And on other occasions... He really tries to help and bless people. And through the court, you know, he can't get out of this, well, curse. He's just stuck. That's what life in the law is like. We can reject the law and think, I don't have to live under that. It's got nothing to do with me. I'm just going to live the life I want. I'll decide what's right for myself. And we're still just trapped in the same situation, the same day. Or we can do lots of good works, and after many years of living the same day, we might win the Nobel Peace Prize, or some Oscar, or some accolade or another, but we're still stuck. That's what the law does. Whatever you do, you're stuck. So, now, the focus comes on to Jesus. Christ redeemed us. Christ rescued us. Christ broke in. Christ set us free from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Here's just a brief glimpse, if you like, at the original message of the Easter weekend and what it meant and what Christ was doing on our behalf. The Son of God, the Lord Jesus, perfectly fulfilled the law for his whole life. How then, if he was perfect... Could he take on the curse of the law in our place? Well, the law itself pinpointed the precise way and the only way in which Jesus could take on the curse of the law. It's in Deuteronomy 21 verse 23 and Paul quotes it here. Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The cross was no accident. It was not just any way in which Jesus could die. There were a whole variety of ways under the Jewish law in which people could be executed if they broke the law. And what would happen is they'd be executed and then to show that they were under the curse, to show that they'd been rejected by God, after their execution they would have been hung up on a piece of wood or on a tree for the rest of the day. That was to show they'd come under the curse of God, the curse of the law. 
They'd been condemned rightly as a sinner against God's law. So how could a perfect man take the curse for us by being hung on the cross? That wasn't a method of execution that you would f- you'd find particularly sanctioned in the pages of the Old Testament for someone breaking the law, but he was hung up on a piece of wood. It wasn't just an accident. The cross of Christ was God's deliberate design to rescue us from our sin. The apostles didn't hush it up. They didn't think, well, this is a bit grim, really. We won't talk about it. Any number of times in the book of Acts, we see them say, yeah, this was the plan of God. The evil man hung him up on the tree. They're making the point. Jesus took the curse in our place to set us free, to bring us into a whole new life, a whole new identity, to bring us into a whole new realm of receiving the Spirit who works in us to bring us to the point of new life and having regenerated us, having brought us to the point of being born again, he continues to help us and work in us um, to grow in the fruits of the Spirit, to receive by an amazing gifts of grace, uh, spiritual abilities to do things that just simply aren't possible by the law or by our human nature. There's even an opening up into a supernatural realm uh, where we can expect Uh, God, by his Holy Spirit, to visit us with works of miracles because we've earned it, because we've gone so far as a church as a reward for how well we've behaved? No. God simply loves faith and responds to faith. He says, look, this imperfect person over here believes me for his or her salvation. I'm so happy to come and fill them and bless them. And they find, wow, I'm just overflowing with joy. And I'm brought into a whole new life. This is what God has planned for us. Now, you could be thinking, okay, it's Easter Sunday, and we're kind of hearing same old, same old. Richard preached on grace a couple of weeks ago. Bless Anne just oozes it anyway and here we are looking at the grace of God and you can bet in some respect or another I jolly well hope it makes it into the message next week too why are we stuck here well the point is the Galatians didn't stick here they heard it they received it they they went with oh this is wonderful and then they started to drift away from it well that was just our starting point that got us going and now we've got to kind of jolly well try and push this cart of good works up a hill and be a holy person. Well, yeah, let's grow in holiness. But let's live by faith. Let's live by grace. Let's live by the Spirit. Are you seeing the grace of God starkly, clearly, in technicolor? Or has it just become a bit soiled, a bit confused, and a bit too subtle and vague. A weird concept or a wonderful reality. How are you seeing the cross of Christ? A horrific curse on him that brings great blessing for us. Or, like I say, just, just a helpful starting point. What are you focusing on? Faith as an amazing gift from God... Or are you focusing on a few 
religious rules and my ability to behave well and hopefully that will see me through. We've lost everything if we lose the grace of God. So Paul urged them, keep continuing. Go on being amazed in wonder at God's grace. Don't the, the clue to enjoying our relationship with Jesus is never to move on from this wonderful gospel, this wonderful truth. You want to grow in wonder and then see what God does as a community of people with genuine faith. Just get drawn to follow him and run after him because we need to obey the rules to please him or because he's changed our lives and we love him. And he's got so much to continue to do through and with us by his spirit. Amen? Shall we worship God? Let's do it. Father God, I want to thank you that you are risen. I want to thank you that for us on the cross, you took our curse. You took it all. You took all the sting, all the punishment, all the wrath, so that none of it needs to come on us. We don't have to atone for it ourselves by living up to a code of conduct. Lord Jesus, I pray, Lord, for, for those here today who, who've never seen it clearly, never understood the gospel in its essence, I pray that today would be the day of receiving a wonderful gift. It's not about trying to be like mum and dad. It's about receiving from my heavenly father a wonderful gift. And for those of us who have received this wonderful gift, help us, Lord God, to continue to work out our salvation on its basis. Lord, thank you. We don't have to earn your blessing. We're in it by the grace of God. Help us, Lord God, not just get trapped in trying to perform a Christian life that maybe closely matches what other people are doing, but it's just a a show of anxiety and nerves and tension. Lord, you've not called us to get bound up in knots, but to live a life of joy in the Holy Spirit because you're alive and you're present here. Demolish depression that comes from thinking any other way. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, let's worship Jesus.